as we come now before the very Word of God. And please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea in chapter 4. We've got quite a number of verses to cover this morning. We'll be taking up the whole of Hosea 4. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord God, and we know that the scriptures warn us of the darkness of ignorance that's due to a hardness of heart. Oh Lord, would you keep us from such a tragedy? Would you soften our hearts now before you? Give us hearts of flesh to hear, to receive, to believe, and to love these things because they come from you. Guide us now by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Hosea in chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1 and read through the end of the chapter. We'll begin to take up larger uh, chunks now of Hosea as we're going through whole chapters at a time. But I think it's good for us to hear the entirety of this all at once. So this is Hosea in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. The land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. And they shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staves give them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they've left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the top of mountains and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play the whore and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. 
Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up into Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. This is the word of the Lord. Now, today we have crossed over the major section break in the book of Hosea. So if we were to look at Hosea as a whole, we could divide the entire book into just two sections. The first section, the first three chapters, chapters one, two, and three, is where we hear what we've talked about in the past several weeks, where we hear about Hosea, the prophet, and Gomer, this woman who he has taken as a wife of whoredom. And the Lord establishes these two, Hosea and Gomer, as a sort of living parable to show how Israel is like an adulterous wife to the Lord, and yet the Lord is still faithful to her and will allure her back. That's the first part in the first three chapters. In this second and last part, chapters 4 through 14, we now hear a series of prophetic judgments from the Lord toward Israel. This is where he will accuse Israel of her sin. So in the first section, we hear an emphasis more on the mercy of God towards sinners. Now in the second section, we hear an emphasis more on the justice or judgment of God towards sinners. So we've now crossed into the section that leans more on the judgment side of things. As we do this, we need to recognize and keep in our minds that these two sections fit together. They hold together here. The Lord has not had a change of heart. The Lord has not changed his mind toward Israel. It's not as if he was mercy and now he's he's judgment. His character has always been as it is. This is who God is. So when I encounter other people's sin, that often changes me. It makes me want to be, at least, and often sometimes bitter, you know, hardens me in some way. God is never like that. He does not grow better. He does not change. So he will always be as merciful and just as he has ever been and ever will be. And if we really want to know God and not just have a lopsided God who's an idol that fits in our pockets to our own, you know, convenience, then we need to hear all of what God says to us, which means both his words of mercy and of judgment, both the words of truth that soothe and the words of truth that sting. 
Because if we only receive one set of these things and not the other, then it's not really God or truth that we care about. It's just our own comfort. And we don't want that. We want to know God. So we're going to ask the Lord's grace to receive these hard things here so that we will know him, all of who our God is, including his mercy and his judgments. Now, in this chapter, in chapter 4, this is the first of the major judgments in which the Lord is addressing sin. There is a lot to unpack here that we won't even be able to touch on. But I want to focus our, int- our attention here on a major theme in this chapter, a particular sin, which is this. The sin of ignorance. That's our focus today, on the sin of ignorance. And we'll ask three questions of it. What is it? Who's responsible for it? And how do we change it? So in regard to the sin of ignorance, what is it? Who's responsible for it? And how do we change it? Let's start with the first of these questions. What is it? What is the sin of ignorance here? So in the book as a whole, if we were to take all of Hosea, the major indictment, the major judgment that the Lord brings against Israel are, in his words, his, not mine, that Israel has committed whoredom. I know that's a hard word for us to process. He means it mostly metaphorically, but also sometimes literally that Israel has been unfaithful and unloving. We hear that indictment right here at the beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of land. Here's the issue. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. So there it is again. That's part of the whoredom. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. And now he's going to add to those core problems the theme that we say here today. There's no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Each of these, no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land, are what we call Sins of omission. Sins of omitted, omission. Things that we've omitted. Things that ought to have been, but weren't. The people have omitted faithfulness and love and knowledge of God. And these omissions, he says, are spilling over into sins of commission, things that people have committed, the big list of swearing and lying and murder and stealing and bloodshed and, blood and on and on, all this, this huge mess of things that should not have been but are. Those are sins of commission. It's all becoming one big mess. It's ruining the people. Even the land and the animals, he says, are connected to this. And all bound up in this big mess is is the sin of ignorance that that they're missing. They've omitted a knowledge that they ought to have had. Now, does this mean that all ignorance is sin? No. This does not mean that all ignorance is sin. The key to help us understand and to answer our question of what is this is in verse 6. Look with me. 
he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Then the next line is, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you. The phrase we want is, because you have rejected knowledge. So when we ask, what's the sin of ignorance? It is not just about not knowing. The sin of ignorance is a rejection of knowledge. To ignore knowledge, that is sin. So in the scripture, there are really two kinds of ignorance. One is innocent, and one is guilty. A sort of innocent ignorance, we see an example of it. Paul mentions just a single verse in Acts chapter 17. Uh, He says of the people of Athens, he's talking uh, to them here. Verse, uh, where is it? Verse 30. This is Paul's words. The times of ignorance God overlooked... But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to to repent. This does not mean that the people of, of Athens were innocent of all sin, of every sin. They're still sinners. They're sons and daughters of Adam with original sin, just like the rest of us. They need the grace of Jesus to save them from sin just as much as we do. But it does mean that there is a sort of ignorance that God overlooks, that God finds excusable. This is interesting and even helpful for us in a lot of ways because we can think of many situations where we might find a similar sort of innocent ignorance. Parents of young kids, okay? If you've got little littles or grandparents, if you ever have contact with little littles, okay, you know that they are still learning all the time, sometimes too much, yes? They are still learning the rules of life, of society, of your house. And so when they violate those rules, not always is that an act of disobedience, as in they're really trying to go against you. Sometimes it is just innocent ignorance, which is not sin. So our response when that happens should not be to punish them, but rather to teach them. Likewise, not just for young kids, if I can say so respectfully, there are people with certain significant disabilities that may be unable to learn some things throughout the entirety of their life. There may be innocent ignorance here. There may also even be for some of us, or maybe the future for us, in the effects of aging, we may lose certain forms of knowledge that we once had. And there may be innocent ignorance here, too. Now, I know that from the outside, when we encounter ignorance in someone else, 
even if it's ig innocent ignorance, it may still try our patience, says a dad of littles who have experienced this many, many times. Lord help, you know, any parents or caregivers in the room know this is hard, 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 right? It is easy to become frustrated at any absence of knowledge, but it is helpful still to recognize and to be discerning about when that ignorance is not intentional. And when we see that there's innocence there, it is easier to let it go. Now, that's one sort of ignorance, an innocent ignorance. There is another sort of ignorance that is guilty ignorance when the knowledge has been rejected. That's the situation where the Lord is condemning Israel in the book of Hosea. But it's not just about the you know, ancient people of Israel. Uh, we hear this sort of guilty ignorance even today. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. He says just broadly of people in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, listen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words here, this doesn't mean you can know everything about God, but there is much knowledge of God that can be known because God has shown it to us. He's made it plain to us in forms of his power and his creation. He's put all of this right in front of us, but we have willingly, willfully suppressed that truth, pushed it down, pushed it aside, and ignored it so we can look the other way on purpose. That's guilty ignorance, and there is no excuse for that. It is sin, deserving of the very wrath of God. If we were driving on a highway, for example, and I get a little bit of a lead foot, and I hit 80 miles per hour, and the policeman shines the lights behind me, and I pull over, and I get very nervous, and he says, you know, this is a 65-mile-an-hour zone. I can try to plead ignorance, yeah? I, 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 I didn't know. But I'm probably still going to get a ticket. He's probably still going to make me pay. Now, I might huff about it later. I might complain to my wife or somebody else or try to blame and say, oh, that's so silly. They should put up better signs and all of that. But those speed signs, let's just be honest, they are marked and made plain. And when we use the roads, we bear the responsibility to know what the road asks of us. To claim ignorance does not make it innocent. So in relation to the things of God, we cannot just squeeze our eyes shut and think that makes everything okay. You know, if, uh, if kids in school did that to their teacher, I didn't know, you know, they might still get in trouble and lose their recess, and rightly so. A guilty ignorance adds sin on top of sin. 
Because not only then am I guilty of the original violation, I'm now also guilty of the rejection of knowledge that I ought to have had. It is no wonder then that the sin of ignorance makes such a huge mess. Now, that's our first question. What is it? Okay. Let's do number two. Who is responsible for it? As we look at now this rejection of knowledge, this sin of ignorance, who's responsible for it? We might expect that there's going to be a sweeping indictment from God across the whole community. You know, that all of the people here are culpable for for the ignorance, and in a sense that is true. But here the Lord zeroes in on a particular target of one who is responsible for the sin of ignorance. Verse 4. Let no one contend, let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. The Lord takes issue here with the priests. Right? Good for you, at least. Not as good for me. Because if this is really true, if there's a lack of knowledge, if there is sin of ignorance, it is possible that you may be able to blame the priest in our situation. Me. Ye. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that all the people are totally off the hook for such things. You know, he, he unpacks all this about the priests. Verses 4 through, like, 11 is focusing on the priests, but then he takes the people to task. He says, it's, it'll be like priests, like people, he says. So this is not just to remove all responsibility, but the major source of blame for the sin of ignorance, at least here, is the priest. And the reason why is because among the priests' many duties, their temple sacrifices and offerings and all of that, the priests were also responsible to teach the ways of God to the people. This has been true for centuries for them. Little verse here and a little bonus. Second Chronicles, verse 15, chapter 15. Let me find it. Second Chronicles, chapter 15, verse... Ah, three. Here's the verse. Listen. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. Do you hear the three things? For a long time, Israel was without God, a teaching priest, and the law, or the Old Testament. That's what the law is. Now, this is not to say all those three things are equal or on the same plane. A teaching priest is not on the same plane as God, for example. But all of these things are necessary. Which means if we have God and we have the law, but we are lacking a teaching priest, we are still missing something. So that means this. There are some people who think, I've got me and God and my Bible, or maybe a devotional with some Bible verses, should be good. Me, God, and the Bible. Good enough, right? That's not what this says. Let's not fool ourselves. If we are missing a teaching priest, a form of that, we are, this is still inadequate. We need faithful people 
whose whole lives are devoted to study of God's word so that they can teach all of us the knowledge of God through the scriptures. Having said that, I don't want you to hear me say that I I mean reading the Bible on your own is useless. Please do that. Please read the Bible on your own. This is one of the ways we hide God's word in our heart. Nor am I saying that the Bible is somehow deficient in and of itself. It is powerful. It is the word of God. But if we are going to approach the word of God rightly, This book is not a snack drawer for us where I reach in and grab a pack of cookies or a little handful of goldfish whenever I'm hungry. The Word of God is a banquet. A banquet that requires hours of study, thought, prayer, Preparation to slice and, and simmer and portion and serve it correctly. And this banquet preparation of the Word of God was to be the major work of the priests. Generally, as a community, even as a society as a whole, we have begun to devalue various forms of authority and expertise. So many of us, even maybe myself included, at times get a little bite of knowledge about something and and think, because I had that bite, that I'm suddenly an expert. So we do this all the time. We all become little doctors and, and think, I read something or I heard something, and I now know all the best things about medicines and vaccines. We become little lawyers, and and I heard a little bit, and now I know all the best things about First Amendment and free speech. You know, we all become little journalists, and even though I've never been there, never seen it, never heard of the thing, I know exactly what happened. We all become little captains and know exactly what should have happened in Afghanistan and what shouldn't. This is complex, yes? This false sense of our own expertise that I know best about everything, that is a rejection of knowledge. That is a sin of ignorance. And some Christians even do this about the Bible, thinking that we're little pastors, all of us. I know exactly what the scripture says about this, and no one can tell me any differently. I know best because I'm the expert. If I can just add a personal note here from me on this, if I can get through it. I cannot tell you how much this personally pains and troubles me as a pastor. It is difficult to watch people build their entire lives around some little tidbit of what they think the Bible says based on a couple of verses taken out of context or some video of someone talking that I saw once on a screen or maybe even some book I read. You know, 
I've done the work. I don't have to listen any further. That's it, because I know what God says. So shush, pastor. That brings me so much personal pain. And it's not because people won't listen to me. I know I'm just a guy. It's because that shows just how little we want to listen to God. That we're not really open to hearing and exploring what he might actually say in here. Prideful ignorance of this sort is so destructive. You know, when we hear the words here in Hosea, in Hosea my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, that, that should be chilling to all of us, but especially to pastors. This should cause me and us to shiver. Because I bear a special responsibility to carry the knowledge of the Word of God. There are lots of ways pastors can fail in this. We, we know that we are not infallible. You know, pastors can, we can teach our own passions sometimes, focusing on a, a, you know, a subset of our own pet projects. We might teach hypocrisy. You know, here's all the morals. You got to follow this on your own without Jesus. And secretly we're doing other things until eventually it comes to light and no one trusts pastors anymore. And, or, you know, sometimes pastors are teaching discord. You know, not all pastors agree about every little thing, but we make those side issues the main thing instead of keeping Jesus at the center. There's lots of ways it can go wrong. I, I, I know that. And these failures need to be addressed if and when they arise, to be sure. But we need to also reckon with the fact that the priests are the ones that Hosea holds responsible, accountable, for the people's sin of ignorance. Which means we should listen to their knowledge. Third, this will be the shortest and final one. We've done all this work. Here's our third question. How do we change it? How do we get rid of this sin of ignorance that is so ruinous? You know, Hosea doesn't give us a, a tidy answer here. I mean, this section is mostly an indictment, which is to highlight the problem and not just the solution. There's some implication in this that Israel needs to repent I can feel it in myself. I go, whoa, I need repentance too. We need the work of the Spirit in this. But what exactly does repenting of the sin of ignorance look like? You know, just kind of intuitively, we might safely assume that, you know, if I've got a sin of ignorance, I might remedy it with, with knowledge. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so am I supposed to, what, you know, dig out all my books and notebooks and all the material, get out my pen and lick it and go, okay, I'm ready to learn, got to dust off all my old catechisms and get to work. You know, is education the answer to this? Maybe, in part, but not at the root. Here's why. Because if we watch what happens in the book of Hosea, if we know our history then of the Bible... In the years, just a few short decades after the book of Hosea, the people did not learn. They did not repent. And so what happens is the Lord sends the people off in, into exile. Assyria comes in 
and has a battle with them and conquers them. So it's common in a conquering world that when you conquer a nation is you split up the people and you take some away and you send some of your own and you're trying to intermix the people and and that sort of takes away any of their power. So that happens to Israel. Listen then what occurs as a result of this. This will help us. What do we do? How do we change the sin of ignorance? This is now in 2 Kings chapter 17. We'll ride this wave to the end. Verse 25. Here's, here's the context. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 25. At the beginning of their dwelling there, they didn't fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. E. So the king of Israel was told, the nations that you've carried away and placed in the city of Samaria, they don't know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he sent lions among them, and behold, they're killing them because they don't know the law of the God of the land. Pause. The problem here, again, is they don't know. There's an ignorance of God here. That's a sin of ignorance here. And so lions are even coming in and dealing with them. That's the problem. What's the solution then? They're going to send in priests to teach them. Here's the rest of the story. Verse 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. And so one of the priests whom they'd carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them what? They sent in the priest to teach, taught them what? Taught them how they should fear the Lord. Got a problem of sin of ignorance? They say... We've got a mess. Lions are coming in as a result. Let's send in a priest, and he's going to teach them. So the priest comes in, and he teaches them not catechisms, not doctrines, not a Sunday school class, and got together said, hey, guys, let's get together and have a little bit of a Bible study. Those are all good things. I love all of that. But the priest comes in and teaches them how to fear God. That's how we change it. This actually makes a whole lot of sense. The book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know that verse? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is a life-giving guardian for us against the ruin of the sin of ignorance. So if we're going to change this, we have to come before the Lord bowed in fear, humbled in reverent worship, and then he will begin to teach us the knowledge of God so that we can see his power to forgive, to transform, and to be a blessing to the nations. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need your spirit to do this work in us by the grace of Jesus. Help us not to be ones who would fall into a rejection of knowledge, but teach us to fear your name, that we would, we would come in awe before you, that your holiness would, would humble us, teach us to know you 
well that we would worship you and teach others to do the same. We ask all of this in in Jesus' name. Amen.